Amen? We serve the great I am. Will you be seated this morning? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8, where we are going to read of an event that happens in the life of our Lord with the disciples in a boat. All right, so I'm going to read the story, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into the details of it. So if you want to follow along with me in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can watch on the screen and follow along there. Uh, Just a handful of verses this morning. Luke records this story for us. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves And they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Let's pray. God, you are the great I am. Who is worthy? None beside me. Father, we thank you this morning that you record for us in your word, by the inspiration of your spirit, accounts like these so that we can trust you, so that we can believe you, so that we know in whom our security is found. And so I pray this morning as we study through this, as we think about it, as we apply it to our lives, I pray that we would leave here with a, a deeper faith, a greater faith, a deeper trust, a more profound willingness and ability uh, to obey you when the storms of life hit us. So I pray your blessing on the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, over and over in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, we read the command to trust God. There are verses like Psalm 20, verse 7, which say, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 25, verse 2, we read, Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. And again, in Psalm 31, verse 14, we read, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Again and again in the Psalms. In fact, over 40 different Psalms, you can read the command to trust. Trust God. And I think we understand that intellectually. We we understand what's expected of us. But we don't always trust God in the middle of life struggles, do we? 
There are times when we fall short of that. And so today, we're going to read this account of these disciples who know the Psalms. They have the Psalms of David. And they really blow it when it comes to one Psalm in particular, Psalm 56, verse 3. It says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. (laughs) They messed that one up. On this day. But you know, we, we can't really point the finger too quickly, can we? How often you and I give in to panic and fear instead of trusting God when life gets scary. And so, so my question is, what is the antidote to that? Right? Uh, I can, I can tell you, you need to trust God. The scriptures command you to trust God uh, and, and, and to not falter. But until your faith is strong enough to do that, there are times when you're going to fail at that. And so what's the antidote? Well, the antidote is that God does something incredible. God not only says, trust me, the invisible almighty one who is in heaven, but then he sends his son. So that you can touch him and you can see him and you can feel him and you can know him firsthand. And so Jesus comes along in this passage and he says, okay, I want to build your trust. You've heard the command. You know you're supposed to do this. But I'm going to help you to have faith so that you can do what I command you to do. And he examples it right here. He does it right here in this text. He does it by demonstrating his power over nature so that this ragtag group of 12 disciples, and by extension, you and I, grow in our faith and grow in our trust. Okay? And those two terms, by the way, are very closely connected. When we talk about faith and we talk about trust, they're connected. I'm sure you've heard of a trust fall. You know what a trust fall is? Uh, that's when one a, a buddy just puts his arms out and he falls backwards and he trusts his friends to catch him before he hits the floor. Okay, so uh, faith says, I believe that you can catch me. Trust puts that faith into action and actually falls. Okay, so we can say it like this. Faith without trust is not really biblical faith. Because biblical faith acts in trust. Okay? So, let's jump into this text and let's see how Jesus builds their faith so that they can trust him more. Okay? Now, I think some context and some broader background and information is important here. When Jesus woke up on this morning, uh, the itinerary that he received from God uh, was pretty simple. It contained four things. Here, Jesus, is what I want you to do today. Number one, I want you to teach the crowds. Number two, I want you to depart on a boat. Number three, I want you to take a nap. And number four, I want you to silence a hurricane. No biggie, all right? Just an ordinary day of work uh, for Jesus. Except that you and I know that that last one is anything but ordinary. Okay, we've seen teaching before. We know what it means to take a nap, right? But to silence a hurricane, 
We've just experienced Hurricane Ian here not too many months ago. And so you know, and I know, that to silence a hurricane is anything but ordinary. I would argue, though, that every one of these items on Jesus' itinerary on this day is extraordinary. Because behind every one of Jesus' itinerary items for this day is a divine motive. Let me explain to you so you can see it. Number one, what, what God told Jesus, I want you to do today, I want you to teach the crowds. Well, Jesus has done that. And if you look back earlier in chapter 8, Jesus taught the parable of the soils on this morning. If you go and read the parallel account of this passage in Mark, you'll see that Jesus has taught a couple more parables. He taught one that we call the parable of the seed growing. He taught one that we call the parable of the mustard seed. And with each one of Jesus' teaching, there was a divine motive to reveal the character and nature of the kingdom of God. These were things that were hidden before. And now Jesus is coming along and he's revealing them, these things in himself to his disciples. This is divine revelation. This is extraordinary what Jesus is teaching. Number two on the itinerary, remember, was depart by boat. Jesus, you have an appointment tomorrow. Your appointment tomorrow is with a demoniac. Look at verse 22. It says, he got in the boat with his disciples and he said, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And we'll discover next time it's on the other side of the lake where he encounters a man who's wild, filled with demons. But I want you to notice the divine motive behind Jesus' departure here. When Jesus says... Let us go across to the other side of the lake. That is not a suggestion. That is not a, oh, you know, the weather looks nice today. It looks like a great day to go out sailing. Let's take off. Maybe we'll make it. Maybe we won't. We'll take our time. We'll just see how things go. No, no, no. When Jesus says, let us go across to the other side of the lake, what he means is we will arrive at the other side of the lake. We will get there. It's not a suggestion. It's not a hope for thing. It is an absolute certainty. There is no power. There is no force. There is no unforeseen circumstance that will hinder the fulfillment of that statement. Disciples, get in the boat, start rowing, and with absolute certainty, I am telling you, we will arrive there. The divine motive in in saying that, in doing this, is the revealing of his divine authority. What he says will happen, will happen. The disciples don't get that yet. Uh, they're moving in that direction. They're, they're starting to grasp this Jesus guy, but, but there's more to be done. Okay, So there's divine revelation on this day. There's divine authority that's going to be displayed on this day. Itinerary item number three was take a nap. And as you know, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man and, and human. And humans get tired. We, we understand that. We are human. Jesus has been up teaching all day. 
Likely his voice is getting a little tired, drained. He's been sandwiched in between crowds all day teaching, and he simply needs some rest. But when Jesus rests on the boat on this day in the way he does, it demonstrates his utter obedience and trust in the Father. Jesus knows that his mission is to arrive in Jerusalem where he will die for the sins of the world. And so when Jesus gets on this boat, he says, well, we're not in Jerusalem yet. We're on the boat in the middle of a lake. So today is not my day to die. Might as well take a nap. And this divine motive here is tied in with the last itinerary item, and that is to silence a hurricane. And Jesus' motive here is simple, yet absolutely essential. My motive, Jesus says, is to build faith in these disciples so that they trust me when they encounter terror. I need that faith. You need that faith. These disciples needed that faith. Simple itinerary, profound objectives. Now remember, uh, these disciples are experienced fishermen. This is certainly not the first time uh, they've been on the boat. This isn't the first time they pushed off of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, they've made their living here. Uh, Some of them have become quite wealthy, actually, uh, because of the fishing enterprise here on the Sea of Galilee. But one thing I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that the weather was perfect when they took off. Because no experienced fisherman on the Sea of Galilee would ever take off on this sea if they saw a storm coming. Because they understand how storms work on this sea. The Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the Lake of Galilee, that's actually how it's referred to here as a lake, it sits approximately 700 feet below sea level. It's about 13 miles in length, about seven and a half miles in width, and it is surrounded by steep mountains, particularly on the east side, where there are uh, steep cliffs that come down. And when cold air comes off of those mountains, it will make its way down through narrow gorges uh, down the side of, of the mountain. And especially when it comes down from Mount Hermon, when that cold air comes down and collides with the heated air down around the top of that lake basin far below, that downrush of wind will whip up a storm, a really violent storm at times, really, really quickly. It's hard to see that coming during the day, let alone at night when it seems as though this story is taking place. So the weather was perfect when they took off. These disciples are caught off guard when this windstorm or what we would call a whirlwind or even perhaps a mild hurricane was coming and it's massive. How many of you ever watched the TV show called The Deadliest Catch? Ever watch this show? It's a, it's a, it's a really reality show. It's a neat show. They, they are fishing for king crab. I believe it's up in the Bering Sea and you watch them go through and these massive waves are 
crashing in and around the boat. Some of them are 40 feet tall, crash over the bow of the boat, sweep off the deckhands. It's unbelievable to watch. We don't know if the storm was quite that bad here, uh, but the storm was bad enough that the boat starts filling up with water. I don't know who was in charge of bucketing the water back overboard as it starts crashing in, but there is no amount of effort to keep more water out than what was coming in. The harder they worked, the further the boat sank. And if you're there and the thunder is crashing uh, or the th- and, and the lightning is flashing, this storm is so terrifying that even these seasoned Galilean fishermen knew we're in big trouble. In fact, if you look there in verse 23, when it says they were in danger, that is no joke. They thought they are in big time trouble as they're fighting against this storm, which came seemingly out of nowhere. And finally, at their wit's end, they do the one thing that they should have done from the get-go. <laughs> they wake up Jesus. And I can just imagine they're screaming at the top of their lungs and probably barely can be heard over the roar of this storm. Master! Master! We're perishing! Of course, their problem was not the storm around them. Their problem was the unbelief within them. In reality, their unbelief was more dangerous than the storm. Listen, to fail to believe in Jesus, and in this case, it's going to be short-term ramifications. They didn't believe in Jesus, and so they suffered short-term for that. But to fail to believe in Jesus forever has eternal ramifications. It's interesting that this same word perishing that they used to tell Jesus, we're perishing, we're perishing, that word appears in the most famous Bible verse of all time. You probably know it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. For those who refuse to believe in Jesus, they will scream forever from the depths of hell, We are perishing! And their tortured voices will echo in unceasing anguish. And at that point, it will be too late. The man or woman who dies in unrepentant sin will never finish perishing. They will live a dying life. Friend, I hope that is never you. Repent and believe on Jesus Christ. They didn't believe, the disciples. But in this case, Jesus awakes. He slept as the hurricane raged. But as one commentator stated, it is comforting to know that an outcry of human distress awakens the one whom a most violent storm cannot. (laughs) 
Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, of Psalm 34, verse 17, because it's still true today. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. Aren't you grateful for that? Well, Jesus awakes, and he awakes to chaos. Here they are, there's the shouts and the panic scrambling of a dozen disciples thinking they're about to die. Jesus didn't join the panic. He didn't grab a bucket and start scooping water. He didn't even turn to the disciples and tell them to calm down. What did he do? He looks at the storm and with three little words, he says, peace, be still. And immediately the storm ends. And when I say immediately, I mean instantly. When you and I experience a storm and it comes to an end, it's a gradual thing, right? The the thunder begins to subside, the winds get calmer, the rain lets up, and eventually it's gone. When Jesus said, peace, be still, the winds immediately stopped and the sea was like glass. Instantly. Done you could picture the disciples standing there, bucket in hand, drenched in water, panting because they were working so hard, looking around and thinking, what just happened? (laughs) I would love to have a picture uh, of that scene with them all soaked and holding their buckets in it perfectly. You would look at it and say, guys, what's going on? Why, Why are you all wet? What just happened here, right? Jesus rebuked the storm in such a way that he asserted his absolute power and authority over every molecule of nature. The same God who could command the sea to swallow Jonah is the same God who could tell these seas to be still to save his disciples. The same God who could divide the Red Sea and divide the Jordan River to give his people freedom could also rebuke the storm to reveal his ultimate source of authority. Listen, friends. Winds and water do not have minds. They do not think. They do not have ears. They do not make decisions. And yet, they obey the Lord at his word. Deaf creation hears and obeys better than smart people do sometimes, don't they? The winds and waves put us to shame sometimes. We have to look at that which is unthinking in order to know how we should think about the one who controls all. And look what Jesus says to them in verse 25. Where's your faith? Faith in what? Faith in whom? Well, he's talking about himself, right? He's saying, where is your faith in me? The point of this exercise was not just to prove that Jesus could steal a storm. The, prob- the, the point of the exercise was so that these guys had the opportunity to demonstrate trust in his power to help them. 
I mean, my goodness, what else does it take? These disciples have already seen his power over audiences back in chapter 4. They've already seen his power over sicknesses in chapter 6. They've seen his power over demons again in chapter 4. And he's already demonstrated his power over death in chapter 7. What more is it going to take? Could it be that these disciples were the thorny soil that he spoke about? The ones who were choked out by the cares and worries of life? Or would they listen to God's word? The biggest problem here was not that the disciples looked around and saw danger. The biggest problem here was that they failed by faith to look in the boat and see God. But after Jesus calms the storm, they have no choice. Every head on that boat swings around to stare at Jesus. And what do they realize? Verse 25 They were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Listen, the only thing more terrifying than having a storm outside the boat was having God inside the boat. And now they realize it. He's sitting here. Who then is this? That's the question that Luke refuses to allow his readers to miss. You have to reckon with that question. Who is this? The whole point was to fill the disciples with reverent fear in the presence of the supernatural and cause them to ponder the question, is this man worthy to be trusted? Will they believe that this man sitting in the boat with them is the one of whom it is written in Psalm 24, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You, Jesus? That's who it is? You, the one sitting here? It is so that they would realize the one of whom it is written in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though the waters foam and roar, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You? You're that God? You're the one. How can this be? No wonder they're more terrified now than when the eye of the hurricane was approaching them. They have suddenly realized they are standing in the presence of God himself. Friend, the question, who then is this? It's not answered by Luke. Notice, it's not answered. You have to come to the conclusion. But I hope that you come to the same conclusion that the disciples do, and you say, 
I know who this is. This is none less than God Almighty. This is the Alpha and Omega. This is the Beloved Son. This is the consolation of Israel. This is the first and the last. This is the glory of the Lord. This is the great high priest. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Lion of Judah. This is the mighty God. This is the begotten Son. This is the Prince of Peace. This is the Redeemer of mankind. This is the Son of David. This is the Son of God. This is the conquering King of the universe. This is Jesus. And what Jesus did then, Jesus can do now. How many of you in this room this morning are walking through an incredible storm? How many of you feel like you're drowning and the waves are relentless? They just keep coming. How many of you feel like the wind's about ready to blow you right out of the boat? And for every bucket of water you dump out, three more come your direction. Take your eye off the storm and look in the boat. Friend, if you are a believer, Jesus is in the boat with you. And he's probably sleeping. No, I don't think he's sleeping. I can assure you, though, There's not a shred of worry or anxiety anywhere on his face. He said, we are going to that shore. And rest assured, whatever storm you're going through, you're going to make it to that shore. Because he said so. He will go with you. He will cause you to endure. The question is, will you trust him? The disciples confronted earthly danger with earthly means. They let human fear rule their lives. But you have something much greater at your disposal. They had it too. They just didn't take advantage of it. You have Jesus who promises to never leave you and to never forsake you. And this Jesus didn't just calm a hurricane. This Jesus looked death straight in the eye at Calvary and he conquered that. And he says, if I can conquer crucifixion, if I can resurrect If I can ascend, then you must come to the conclusion there is nothing too powerful for me. So if Jesus is with you, what are you going to fear? There are circumstances in my life, probably in yours too, that can cause a deep panic inside my soul. There are things that happen uh, outside of, of my control and occasionally there are circumstances that result from my own sin. And there are times when I sense this pronounced fear that surges through my system, maybe yours too. I want to close by offering you three good reasons from this text why I'm learning not to fear how I'm learning not to fear. And maybe these will help you too. Number one, 
these disciples had Jesus' promise that they were going to the other side. And if Jesus commands something, he enables it to happen. No one can thwart his plans. They had a guaranteed arrival at their destination. The same is true of you. In John chapter 10, we read this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. He's just demonstrated it and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Jesus has promised your destination with him is in heaven. There is no storm in life that's going to keep that from happening. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Number two, the Lord was with the disciples. So again, what was there to fear? They've already seen his power demonstrated over and over in his miracles. They should have had complete confidence that he could do it again. The same is true for you. You have the whole story recorded right here. You see the end that hasn't even happened yet. You know that the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was raising from the dead himself. That power is real and that Jesus is in you. He's always with you. So when you encounter the trials of life, he's there. He's there. And finally, number three, the disciples should have looked and seen that Jesus was perfectly at peace even when the storm was raging all around them. That fact alone should have encouraged them. Jesus was in God's will. So he took a nap. When you walk in the will of God, when you obey him, even when the storm rages around you, you can go to bed at night and lay your head on the pillow and sleep well. Because Jesus is with you. God is in control and you can still trust him. Who then is this? This is Jesus, the majestic king of the universe, the maker and keeper of your soul. Won't you by faith trust him today? Stand with me. Let's pray. When I'm done praying, we're going to sing one more song and then you're welcome to go out and get food. I'm going to pray for a meal as well. So when the lines are open, take advantage, all right? Let's pray. God, thank you for helping us to see who then is this? Who is this Jesus? He's a majestic one. He's the one who loved us, died for us, rose again for us, ascended for us, intercedes for us today saves our soul and keeps us, holds us, walks with us. Father, thank you that you not only command us to trust you, but then you show us what that looks like in the person of Jesus Christ. And then you give us him. You give us the spirit so that we can do what Jesus did. We have faith intellectually. We know what we're to do and we can act on that. We can trust you.
And so I don't know all the storms that are facing every person in this room. Maybe some are mild. Maybe some are very, very difficult. Father, I pray that this passage this morning would encourage that soul, the one who thinks I'm about to perish, I'm about to drown, to remember, no, you're not. Jesus is still with you. He's still guiding. And he says what will happen. It's his word that we trust. Help us to rely on your strength and not our own. Father, we love you. We thank you for this food that's been made for us today. I pray that uh, we would eat and love spending time with one another, fellowshipping together. And Father, I pray that we would talk about these things, encourage one another, pray with one another. Father, that you would be honored and glorified. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.